I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your daily dose of what's happening in Chicago and beyond. In just a few weeks, Chicago will lose yet another grocery store. The Whole Foods in Inglewood, which has been in the plaza at 63rd and Halsted for six years, is getting ready to close its doors for good. In recent years, we have seen this happen again and again. A big box store, a pharmacy, or a grocery store, often in a black neighborhood, closing down and leaving residents with fewer places to shop and fewer places to buy fresh food. Last week, Reset spent time in Inglewood. Here's what shoppers had to say about where they'll go after Whole Foods closes. There's not a lot of stores in our community that you can go to. I'm handicapped, and um, it's accessible to me. Ah. I don't know. I mean, probably go find like a food for less, which is what is is different from Whole Foods. They got all the organic stuff in here. I got to go to Hyde Park. I don't want to go to Hyde Park because I live right there. I got the opportunity to check in with two local leaders to hear how the community is grappling with the loss of the store and what, if any, plans are in the works to replace Whole Foods. Aisha Butler is the founder of Rage Englewood. I would just love to walk into somewhere that I just saw a variety of fruit and vegetables. And Cecile DeMello is director of Teamwork Englewood and former community liaison at Whole Foods. How could we have known earlier the ways that we could have supported if there was a way to support the store? Now, what follows is an edited version of my conversations with Aisha and Cecile, where we discuss the closure, potential operators and community ownership. We actually spoke with them separately, but we're presenting those interviews together to help tell the story of this moment in Englewood and what comes next. When we heard that, like, hard date of November 13th, I think most people thought, at least in the community, we thought that we had at least to the end of the year because we had heard like kind of rumors around December and it was like, okay, but no, it's really weird in a way because you don't want the doors to close um, for any reason on 63rd. All of the work that was done on 63rd hostage to be something, you would hate to see boards, closures, just another vacant space because we have so much of that here. But you also don't want to rush into a decision that may not be beneficial for the folks in this community. And so it's a really fine line that you're walking on of like, let's make sure that this is still lit and not giving people this false hope that investments don't happen here, but also let's not push anything inside the store. Do we have any information about like what's next? So I don't think we do. I think what we've heard from city conversations um, has been there's some interested partners. Uh, I think from the last community meeting call, it was um, Cermak Foods and Save-A-Lot. But there has not been any concrete information about what is supposed to be happening and how does that process look for them to be a part of to be the replacement operator for Whole Foods Market. Um, So what's been happening, though, at the community level is in some of the community meetings for the Ingle Quality of Life Initiative, which includes like an economic development meeting with residents and stakeholders as well as health partners and a separate meeting called our Health and Wellness Working Group, is folks have been sharing their concerns. What do we want to see and what we don't want to see in a future operator, right? Um, I think 
one of the things that was said in the city conversations in the in their um, virtual conversations that they had where residents and stakeholders could be a part of it is folks are concerned about save a lot right um, so I think that that company has a bit of a different track record that makes folks concerned especially in the uh, I think in 2020 the closure on 79th and Hostet from save a lot did impact greater Inglewood residents to an extent and then on top of you know other closures as well so I think people want to have an operator, from what we heard in our conversations, that's going to respect this community, have a long-term plan, um, as well as provide affordable, uh, quality, and diverse products at the store, but also have that plan for what happens if there needs to be a pivot that's going to still protect access to food in this community. The store is closing in maybe a month's time or so, and that there's still not much information. I wonder how frustrating that is for you and whether at this point in any process like this, whether we should have more information than we do have. Yeah, I think so when it comes to thinking about the operator, no one wants a vacant space in there, and also no one wants to lose the opportunity for accessible food in this community in the first place. So everyone from our community meetings and the surveys we've done, they're frustrated about the potential loss of time that we may not have a grocery store in this community. I think the other piece uh, around what the frustration we've been hearing from residents is around, well, why didn't we have a plan B around this? And I think there's a lot of responsibility around what could that plan B option have been. And one of the things that's came up in the community meetings, even from our staff and myself, who's someone who's very close with the Whole Foods Project, was how could we have known earlier the ways that we could have supported if there was a way to support the store continuing to stay open and or finding the replacements earlier and not kind of have that scrambling feeling like we feel right now. And if you probably talk with a lot of other folks that do this work around accountability, around economic development, this is something that folks always talk about too, right, is how do we have a binding community benefit agreement that protects people? Does it feel to you like the city's prioritizing this? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I So that's where I'm trying to figure out who makes the decision, because if Whole Foods Market is responsible for the decision, then we definitely want to see where they are in the process and the engagement, right? Um, I also think our, our local electeds have also been having having these conversations too, so I am proud of that fact that the, our local elected officials are also making sure that the city and whoever makes the decision about the operator is um, understanding that this is a pressing need. Yeah. So I want to get more into that survey that you did with residents, right, to see what they want, right? Tell us more about what you heard. Um, pick up where you left off with the concerns, um, particularly with Save a Lot. I'm very interested in hearing more about that. Sure, I think so. In the conversations with residents um, in our community meetings, they just shared about the quality concerns that they have, and then the recent closure in the South Side of Chicago that made people go, "Well, wait a minute, is this an opportunity for them to pivot in quote unquote different real estate?" But then also, what would be their commitment to us if there was a recent closure that was on the South Side in the first place not too long ago, and on the West Side as well, right? 
Then the other piece that we learned from the surveys from residents is that they, they do want affordable options in the community, and they do want a more diverse um, offering in the groceries. So one of the things that there was a limitation on when it came to Whole Foods Market is that they have these really high-quality standards that your regular brands may not be in the store. And, if, and residents share that that was something that made them uncomfortable in the grocery shopping experience, but was something that Whole Foods Market was not able to budge on is their quality quality standards. So that was one piece that was loud and clear. Commitment to local hiring, commitment to small business owners inside of the the selection at the store was something that resonated, but affordability, quality options were something that came out um, at the top. And when people talked about local providers um, that they were thinking about, they talked about, you know, um, more popular stores in the community that had a lot of reflection around the culture of that community. So that was some of what we saw in the survey results. Was there any discussion about wanting a black retailer looking to invest in the community long term? Definitely. Folks talked about that. Folks, We also um, saw a lot of feedback around a hybrid option. You know, what could it look like to maybe still have local produce or work with some of the local providers in this community, like our local urban agriculture um, partners, as well as um, still having the corporate entity as well. So something of like a hybrid ownership was things that came out of the survey in the community meetings as well. What goes in place of Whole Foods that would make Asia <laughs> satisfied? Um... For me, I mean, anything in a community that's 91% African-American, to have a a thriving African-American operator would be first and foremost. Um, You know, we have very limited businesses. As you can see, we are trying to promote black-owned businesses here. And so that would be first and foremost. But if it, you know, with a black operator, something similar to a Cermak, a Pete's, I mean, I like Trader Joe's, but that's going kind of back to the corporate. But I like the small, um, you know, places like Cermak and Pete's and others that really have so much of a variety of fresh options. Just because we have enough processed places here to as you walk in, it's boxes of cereal. I would just love to walk into somewhere that I just saw a variety of fruit and vegetables. And so whatever that looks like, um, that, you know, that was what, you know, Whole Foods was. That was their brand as well, you know. And so something very similar to that would be great. So the mayor has said that Whole Foods market did not make sense uh, for this community. As someone who was directly part of getting it here, mm-hmm. right? How do you feel about that statement? Is it accurate? So when it comes to the store coming here in the community, there is a really big lesson that a lot of us who were involved in it from the beginning learned. Well, two lessons. One, we should have got a lot of things in writing if the project did not go the way that we wanted it to go, right? And uh, the other piece is when that change of leadership happened and Amazon took over, what, we should, what should we have also been preparing for in advance? But when it comes to how that corporation came into this community and worked with partners, changed their policies to hire locally, there are some 
positive lessons learned around that. And we've taken some of those lessons and applied them to other ways how we want corporations to interact with Greater Inglewood. So I don't think that I want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There were some quality things that we learned about how to negotiate with corporations in that time period and how to make them respect our community. When we opened up the store, there was 38 local businesses who had products on the shelf. That came from Whole Foods Market being challenged around capacity building for um, local businesses. So there was a lot of prep work done on recruitment, on support, even connecting them to to uh, other stores and networks and having them grow. That was important for Inglewood. And there's a lot of businesses that grew from that that we can't take that away. The local hiring that started in the beginning, not only did Whole Foods Market help with the local hiring for that store, but they leveraged their, um, their opportunity for opening the store to get other jobs and employment partners to be a part of bringing jobs to the community. So like I said, there was a lot of quality things that happened in that experience. Um, Making space for Inglewood was something that happened at the initial part of the store opening. We had a lot of events and programs that were taking place inside of the store that a lot of people were able to get enrichment information, make some life transitions, also have a really good time um, in the space. So those things like... Those are the things that a lot of us fought and organized into inside the space and then saw that, you know, between the pandemic and the Amazon transition, those still were not happening. So that's why I caution about that statement, because we did grow our our capacity to understand what corporations can do when they partner inside of our communities. I think the last couple of years about not understanding where the store was going and how the um, potentially the pandemic impacted the store or what was still not connecting for residents was part of the, this is where it didn't make sense because we didn't prepare for those, um, the negative experiences or the the things that were discouraging them as being a continued partner in our community. What do you say to people who think that this was a waste and it should never have gone in this route in the first place? My first question is, did they ever shop at the store? <laughs> this is so many people I saw on social media say this and this and that, and I was like, I wonder if this person ever shopped at the store because initially in the beginning of the store, the prices were comparable around the, you know, your regular items uh, in comparison to the competition in the community. And and so some people would say, oh, it was too expensive. And I'd be like, "Hmm, did you go in the store before the pandemic? I don't know. And I think it it created for some of us Inglewood leaders this, um, this feeling that sometimes we feel where Folks feel also that Inglewood doesn't deserve things and that we can't try innovation in Inglewood. And that part, I think, bothered a lot of us to hear that this failure was a failure connected to it being in Inglewood that bothered those of us who do great work and know that we deserve quality things. And, to, and making it synonymous of Inglewood as a, as a community with, with challenges and struggles, whether or not whether than looking at this as something that we tried to make work and it didn't, also makes it conflicted for, it, it, it can be frustrating um, because we know that the narrative of, of this community being challenged is what the majority of folks is reading into when the announcement was made versus saying, okay, what worked well, what didn't work well, and how do we support the next phase for Inglewood in the economic development? Whole Foods coming here, a, a big piece of that was economic development yeah. in this neighborhood. Has that been achieved? Um, I would say it was. It was achieved. Um, It was achieved by the black retailers who had their products on the shelf, who um, many of them have grew. 
and to other markets and other Whole Foods. It um, helped with the jobs that were there. Very a lot of local folks who were hired, um, and and I also think that it helped garner additional investments. The other spaces, the other tenants that came in. Um, so and, with it leaving, how do we keep that progression moving? In the forward yeah. direction. So I will hope that from the activities that the city is working on now, that with the Inglewood Connect, and now they have something called Thrive Inglewood that's coming, that that will keep the momentum going. Um, but I also know that, you know, like Inglewood is a very resilient community. So we have a blow. We get right back up and we keep walking. I mean, we, we've lost schools, unfortunately. We've lost businesses. We've lost homes. Um, so, I'm, you know, not that we're used to it, but we, we keep moving. With this longtime lack of food access issue yeah. here, residents have always been trying to figure out different ways yeah. to feed each other. Can you talk yeah. more about the different efforts that have existed? Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, it continues to grow and emerge. Um, when I first started volunteering, one of the first meetings I used to go to was around this urban agriculture hub. They were trying to start on 59th when growing homes had just got here. And they've been growing food, and, and it's a certified organic farm. Then you have, you know, others who you know, residents and or organizations who are also growing food and feeding each other. Then you have these commercial kitchens that people get together and and, and grow together and cook together. And so that work continues to happen. One of the major things that was worked on in collaboration was the Go Green Fresh Market on 63rd in Racine. And what's so interesting is when we were doing the work of opening the grocery store uh, with Iman and Rage and E.G. Wood, um, folks would be like, well, why do you need that if Whole Foods is down the street? Having different food options is important um, in our community. So uh, the Fresh Market is now going to be another grocery store that wasn't initially something that probably was thought of in the beginning. Uh, Iman's been working on it for a while, but what, I'm sharing it to say that the fresh market, if you would have been looking a year or two years ago, like, well, why do you need it? You just had an open, a grocery store just opened. No, we needed more establishments and more opportunities for food access either way. You look at other communities and they have those options. They have variety. They have the local owned and the, and the larger corporate owned chains in their community. So I think that is uh, something that was important that community leaders never took our focus off of, understanding that we needed multiple access points around healthy food in our community. And that's not going to change after the closure. I mean, during the pandemic, so many Inglewood leaders came up together to do food access work in the, be in the beginning of the pandemic anyway ways because there's something about um, being able to take care of each other. There's something that we're going to always have to do and have had to do because we haven't always had those resources. So how do you want people to think then of this impending closure um, and just and to think overall about the work that is happening in Inglewood? Yeah, I, I just think, you know, that's such a great question. I, I think for for us, especially with the work that we're doing, um, it's an opportunity for black people to have ownership over institutions that affect our community. We And I think this is a sign that, hey, you know what, let's figure out how we, as a people, 
could have some ownership in something so important as a grocery store, right? Or a hospital or a school. And so, you know, it's unfortunate when we lose institutions or corporations, but I do think it also challenged us to say, you know, because the first thing I said, well, who do we have now up to play who could go in there? And unfortunately, we, we came up short. And so I think now we're like, okay, if this happens again, what do we need to do? What work do we need to have in place right now so that we, this is a seamless transition um, if with our community. And, and the work that's happening with so many groups in Inglewood, I think that um, that's possible to do. I think, you know, we were kind of blindsided. Like we heard the rumors, but we wasn't, I don't think we were preparing for our next operator. And I think next time, if this happens next time, all these Walgreens, whoever, we should be ready to go with a new operator. What do you see as the biggest challenge that lies ahead here, just in this general fight for food access here in Inglewood? I think what's going to be critical to watch is what kind of supports the potential operator will get and what what does that mean for other smaller entities that we need in addition to the larger entities, right? So we did a, Iman had to lead a lot of great work in order to get the fresh market open. What are some other things that we should be doing to support more entrepreneurship and more capacity building around food access in our community that's not just the larger, bigger chains, right? How are we supporting our restaurants? How are we supporting small mom and pop stores and making sure that they get those resources? Um, And so that's something that we'll be watching and seeing how can we replicate those kind of supports. And so Groups like Growing Home, Grow Greater Inglewood, uh, Dion's Dream, all of these groups are doing food access work. And how do we support them to do deeper work and not just rely on the big chains to save us out of food access and quality food in this community? That was Cecile DeMello, Director of Teamwork Englewood and former community liaison at Whole Foods, and Aisha Butler, founder of Rage Englewood. Now, Whole Foods did decline to comment for this story. Here's a bit more from Englewood shoppers Anthony, Fred, and Markiva talking about why having a grocery store with quality ingredients is important to them. Well, I've got children, I've got grandchildren, um, a place where you can get anything from a stick of butter to some aspirin to a Band-Aid. You know, just basic human needs and to have a place leave that's got quality um, products, it's, it's just a loss for the neighborhood. This Aldi's over here? This Aldi's over here, shit. I walked in one day, I thought I was getting, you know, the, the fancy tortellonis, like, oh, these the spinach tortellonis? No, looked at the package, it was green because it was moldy. Oh. Let's continue talking about food access in Inglewood on Chicago's South Side and efforts by community groups to improve health outcomes in the area. On our visit to Inglewood last week, I met up with Sana Syed, Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives for Iman, the Inner City Muslim Action Network. The group is behind a new small format shop called Go Green Community Fresh Market that sells fresh food and meals. First, I asked her about Go Green's mission. The, the need that Go Green is here to meet is to bridge the health and wealth gap in Inglewood. Inglewood has a 31.2-year life expectancy gap um, in the city. So it's the largest in the, in the, in the country. Uh, there is no other city in the, in, the, in the nation that has a larger life expectancy gap than Chicago. And in Chicago, that happens to be between Ingle, Inglewood and Streeterville, which is only nine miles north of, of Inglewood. 
and the life expectancy gap is 31.2 years. Now, obviously, that has to do with nutrition. It has to do with health, um, you know, health factors. It also has to do with a lot of social determinants and political determinants of health. It has to do with housing, with transit. There's a lot of, at the heart of that is equity, right? And what Go Green on Racine is committed to doing in, in its own ways um, through this plan, but also hopefully in the long term, you know, with more things, is begin to bridge this gap. There's the, the, the big health gap and also the big wealth gap that contributes to the big health gap. Then Iman's son, Sayed took me on a tour of the grocery store. The first thing that you notice when you walk in are these bushels of apples and grapes, also a refrigerated section with cabbages and carrots. One of the things we wanted to do is when people enter, we wanted to make sure our produce section was like right there. Uh, so that's kind of why we have it like that. And then this part is really, you know, basically everything you need to create a meal. So your oils and your grains and your um, your dairy is right here. Your seasonings are right here. Um, on, the, in, on this side, we have the production kitchen. The reason why we decided to go the production kitchen route as opposed to a hot-to-serve kind of kitchen, yeah. uh, a cafeteria type of kitchen, is because... A lot of the meals, so, you know, essentially one of the things we're trying to do is have fresh-made meals in-house every day. And what that does is create a convenient um, option for residents to, you know, just pick up their lunch or pick up their dinner. So we've had individual meals and family-sized meals. Individual meals at four ninety nine, family-sized eight ninety, 11.99. So it's typically for four. And what that, if we had a hot-to-order kitchen, if you were an EBT user, you couldn't buy that food with your EBT card. So that's the reason why we went the production kitchen route, so we can produce meals, put them in the cooler, in the grab-and-go section, and then you can have EBT users who can purchase those meals, that's which would have so otherwise been inaccessible to them for uh, if it was not that kind of kitchen. Uh, so we have Zbiha Halal meats, we have some local favorites like oxtail um, and things like that. We do have supply chain issues, as you see. So there is sometimes, like, you know, um, availability is up and down. This is all of our cereals and, and our almond, almond milks and all of that. And then this, in our frozen aisles, we have a lot of, um, you know, uh, dairy-free, gluten-free products, also a lot of plant-based meats. You have some ready meals right here. Uh, we've tried our best to pick, like, low-sodium type of options, less processed. And then on this side, you have, uh, like I said, all of your, you know, frozen meats. So you have the, the seafood, you have the plant-based meats, and... Um, and then you also have the chicken and stuff here as well, the burgers and everything. And, mm-hmm, so ahead. you're very intentional about what you choose to put on your shelves. Oh, yeah. So it was our goal was it's a small space, right? Uh, this is 3,700 square feet, in, everything included. Yeah. Um, and what we wanted to do is actually have a full-spectrum inventory so that you could actually come in. You might not get five varieties of coconut milk or three varieties, but you will have coconut milk. Yeah. You may not get, like, three varieties of three brands of lentils, but you will have lentils and you will have a few different kinds of lentils. So we wanted to make sure that we are uh, like a full service grocery store to the best of our ability in the in the space that we have. So we've tried to be very intentional about making sure that anyone that needs to create a meal can typically find anything they need in order to create that meal. You also have lactate ice cream. Oh, we do. Yeah. So, you know, people think of like dairy free products and gluten free products as a luxury. Um, 
or vegan products as luxury, but they're not. For a lot of people, that is like that's a real that's a real reaction your body has oh, yeah. if you have dairy. So yes, our actually lactate ice cream is one of our top selling ice creams. Oh, yeah. You know, it's one of our top selling ice creams. As a woman of color, I can tell you because yes. we seem to be very much impacted by <laughs> lacto lactose <laughs> issues. Um, so yes, this is this is great. Also, I was going to give you a high five for the fact that you even sell oxtail because even as a Jamaican, that's something that I can't find everywhere. So to know that I go green as tiny as you are, you still have oxtail? Like, okay. And after that tour, I had this question for Sana. This is a great space. We're here. We're physically here. We're seeing it. How are you working to ensure that more and more people know that Go Green exists as an option for them? For instance, we spent the morning talking to people, just hanging out outside Whole Foods and just talking to them in the parking lot. And the first question you ask is, okay, so what are you going to do when this closes? Where are you going to I don't know. Everyone would say, I don't know. Or he, some would say, oh, I've tried this place or I've tried Go Green. Like I think one or two mentioned Go Green by name, but I would love for them to be able to sort of point to you being down the street as like the immediate Absolutely. next option. So how, how do you work against that? Since opening in March, we've just been trying to figure out how to be a grocery store, <laughs> right? Like we're a nonprofit. That's what we are. Social impact is our primary concern. We understand the needs of our community, and we want to figure out how we can meet them. Uh, Now, that, in this case, has meant learning to become a grocery store. And for the first six and seven months of our operations, we've just been trying to figure that out. So when people are thinking immediately, like, well, how is this going to fill the need when Whole Foods is massive and Go Green is so small, that's not, they're missing the point. I would think so. Um, I think there, there, it's not. No one thing is going to be the solution. This is a very big problem. Uh, food. I mean, I, I, I personally, I think that the word, you know, the the word that food activists and food justice advocates have used to describe the issue that we're confronting. Um, I like that they shifted the the focus away from the food desert language to the food apartheid language, because this is not an issue. This is not, it just, it doesn't just so happen that there aren't any grocery stores in Inglewood. Like, this is a result of decisions that have been made by, you know, businesses. It's a decision that has been made at, the, at multiple levels, by, within multiple sectors. And that's what has brought us here. So to think that any one thing or any one uh, you know, effort is going to bring about the is going to be the all end all solution to this is is naive. So we absolutely never saw ourselves as the only, you know, as the one lone standing food retail institution that was going to be solved that was going to solve this problem. But what we do take pride in is being a symbol of what community led solutions to that problem can start to look like. Of course, we have a lot of work to do in that regard, and we have a long way to go. But uh, we always saw ourselves as part of a resilient ecosystem. So we wanted to help support that ecosystem. We wanted to help build that ecosystem. For us, Whole Foods was always supposed to be a part of that ecosystem. We never saw Whole Foods as a, as a competitor. We always were, we wanted more of the, you know, in any, any neighborhood, you go, you go to the north side or any, any other neighborhood, you have multiple options. You have multiple grocery stores, and there is no conflict there. Like, you can have a Trader Joe's and a Whole Foods, like, literally within a block of each other. And you do. And, and, they, and they're both doing well, and they're both necessary because you want to give people options. What options do we have right now in Inglewood proper? We have an Aldi's. We have a Food for Less. And we have four corner stores. That's it. 
and I mean, of course, with the exception of Whole Foods, because Whole Foods is now leaving, we've been wanting to work with Whole Foods uh, management to see how we can better do exactly what you're talking about, Sasha, where, um, you know, maybe we can include our pluggers, uh, Go, Go Green Community Fresh Market pluggers in every checkout at Whole Foods leading up to the closing. Maybe we can bring on some folks who have been, you know, great performers at the Whole Foods that are local. Are you concerned at all or worried about being able to sort of absorb the overflow that will come? Absolutely not. So you, we, 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 the way we've staffed this market is to absorb, is to have a lot more people coming through every hour of the day. And we're not going to change that. So in the seven, six, seven months, in the first six, seven months, we could have made adjustments to our staffing plan. We could have made adjustments to our hours. We could have made all kinds of adjustments. But we're not making those adjustments because one here, one, we're we want we want to be that neighborhood grocery store. We want us to really make sure for at least six thousand residents in the immediate area, this is the only store that they can walk to within ten minutes. So we really want to make sure that we are capturing that resident, and also essentially, a big part of. Uh, what we're trying to do, in, especially in the context of inflation, is so already when we started in March, inflation, food prices were already on the high, yeah. we, um, and, and they were hitting all food categories. But even since then, we've seen a steady increase in prices through large distributors, even between March and now. And the way that we address that is in the beginning, we were like, like I said, we were trying to figure this out. So we worked on a pricing model that made sure that all of our staples, so all of our staple products, we're not even worrying about margins on those products. We, we are just trying to make sure that those products remain ex- extremely affordable and are high quality. And so, one, we worked on a pricing model. Two, we started working on access programs. So we always had a rewards program. It was called the Limelight Rewards Program uh, that, you know, for every dollar you spend, you get some reward, and you can, you know, basic sort of our rewards program. We, we, we instituted Link Match, which gives you for every $5 you spend on anything else, um, it gives you $5 free worth of purchase for, food, for produce. Uh, so we did that. We start, We had a 10% senior discount days on Thursdays. We've, we've instituted a daily student discount. So we are working to make sure that our access programs make it really accessible and affordable. But then also, you know, how do we start, um, especially in the context of inflation, and also this is what the community wants to see. It wants to see a, more, a stronger commitment to both local products, local producers, local, you know, local hiring, and all of that. And we brought in a regional food systems grant that allowed us to now, we have over 40 BIPOC and local vendors in our store. So these are 40, and I think that parallels Whole Foods, even though we're significantly smaller than Whole Foods. But we have 40 local BIPOC and women-owned products in store. And we we go out of our way to point those out. So if you may have seen those BIPOC-owned signs, you know, across the store. Um, but but we're trying to what we're trying to do with those products is really subsidize them, so that we're using the regional food systems grant to make sure that all of those products, like really high quality, good stuff, like this is good stuff, you will find this at we're selling it significantly lower than even the cost price because we really want to support the BIPOC products and the local products and women-owned businesses. Period. So I think through we we we're, we we've kind of spent a lot of our time and attention on like trying to tweak our operation, and we're still going to do that. But I do think that now is the time for us to really sort of go out and, you know, really let the community know that we are here and we are here for them and we are here to stay. That's Sana Syed, Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives with Iman and Go Green on Racine.
We rounded out our time in Inglewood by going right to the source. The source of food, that is. Now, among the kale and collard greens at Growing Homes Farm on Honoree and 59th, we learned about a program that teaches job readiness skills to people experiencing homelessness, people returning from prison, and other folks who are just trying to get back into the job market, all while expanding food access. Here is Ezra Lee, farm and program coordinator, explaining how Growing Home makes their vegetables affordable for residents. This is our honorary north site. We've got uh, kale and chard and collards growing in here right now, as well as in the high tunnels. We've got some tomatoes um, and some peppers at this, the end of the warm season. Um, yeah, these, these bunch of greens have uh, been really, really productive. They're a cut-and-come-again kind of harvest for us, so we can harvest them every single week, um, and they'll grow more leaves. We can harvest them for about a month and a half or so before the planting starts to get a little too old. And a lot of this stuff goes to our partnership with Greater Chicago Food Depository. Um, We have a standing order with them uh, that uh, has run since early of 2021, about June 2021. Um, And we send 300 bunches of produce a week to a couple of their their sites. It's called the Farm to Pantry Program, um, where we're delivering directly to the Salvation Army Red Shield on 69th and over down to Authorings Through Christ Church on 66th and Hermitage. So the goal of the farm right is to provide through these different channels um, to get food into people's homes consistently. Um, the farm does that through hosting a farmer's market here on Thursdays, partnering with other organizations to send stuff out um, to places where we know people are already used to and comfortable getting food, um, like those, like that farm-to-pantry program. We're also running an Englewood CSA, so CSA, we're sending boxes out weekly um, or bi-weekly to people, and those are at like incredibly reduced prices. The pricing is affordable through grant funding, through donation, um, primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone who is a SNAP participant, so when we have our farmer's markets every Thursday from 11 to 5, um, their dollar counts for $2.00. And so there's access to healthy food. And what we also do is, in terms of community education and informing people that we're here and that we have healthy food for them and it is affordable as well, um, we actually uh, partner with UIC. They come and teach on nutritious eating uh, and also on my plate as well. Uh, they do food demonstrations and things like that that we do here. And you would find that it is absolutely good. The food is absolutely good. Um, but if you didn't know that it was available or that you could afford it, um, you know, then you would kind of be locked into what you've always done, which has led to hypertension, diabetes, uh, early death, and things like that. That second voice is Daniel Mackey, Growing Homes Workforce Development Manager. I asked him how farming and job readiness go hand in hand. If anyone knows about farming, farming is hard work. I think if you can do farming, you can translate those skills into any line of work. And so we use urban agriculture as a means uh, to, to train on soft employability skills like resilience and work ethic and punctuality and seeing the value and outcome of your work. There's a sense of reward, right? It takes 65 days to grow a carrot, right? One carrot. Now, we don't grow one at a time. However, being in that environment, watching something from a seed, grow into something that's edible and valuable, it kind of trains the mind to think, you know, if this can grow, I can grow too. We've seen fathers and sons uh, come through this program, and um, it, it's, it's really inspirational when you see that you're restoring dignity to families um, so that there's revenue coming through the house uh, and there's not a lack of food, uh, in addition to them having access to, um, you know, a a transitional job program, they're able to eat healthier and be exposed to a better way of life. Now, as for what they want to see at the Whole Foods space that will soon become vacant in Inglewood, 
It's simple. Fresh food at an affordable price. Elected officials are hosting a community meeting tomorrow to discuss what comes next for that space. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic. It was edited by Ethan Schwab. Want more stories like this? Then subscribe to our podcast. We publish compelling conversations just like this every day of the week. Plus, an episode on Saturdays. And after you subscribe, leave us a rating. That helps more listeners find us. That's it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.